Parshat Mishpatim, otherwise known as Mishpatim. This parsha gets into the grind. Till now, it's all these great stories. Avram, Yitzchak, Yosef, the brothers, they're, they're killing each other. They're not, you know, miracles, revelations. Now it's okay. You know, the first day's over, the teal's over, the first Thursday's over. We went to Nechal Kibbutzim, we had Yosef Shabbos. Time to get stark. Okay, actually, okay. Let me tell you a quick story. There was a challenging story in December, about a month ago. Okay, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay, so I don't get the details wrong. The title is, I, this was published in Mariv Online. It was also picked up by the Jerusalem Post and lots of other places. It made the rounds. You can imagine that our enemies had a field day with this story. All right? The IDF suspends soldiers for reciting Jewish prayer inside Janine Mosque. Okay, that's the title. Now, by the way, is there an Isser to Davin in a mosque? No. Because Muslims are monotheists. They worship the same God we are, right? We do. And there was no halachic Isser to go into a mosque. You might pause before going to a mosque for other reasons, but okay. Um, and there's no issue, by the way, of Hukusayim. There's no issue of... Uh, practicing practices of idolatrous behavior. So, for example, if you go into a mosque, unless you're in an army unit and you have different things on your mind, you take your shoes off, etc., not Allah prab. What was the issue here? There's a picture in the story of an IDF soldier who's seen holding a microphone. You know, the mosques have their loudspeaker systems. You know, uh, right? you hear them at night, okay? So, they were, there was some heavy fighting in Janine. They went into a mosque. They found in this particular mosque an entire command center, arms. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stories. We're not talking about Aziz here. We're talking about Janine. Okay, we're talking about an area that's uh, controlled by the Palestinian Authority that Israeli army goes into regularly. And there's been serious, serious fighting there. Soldiers have been killed. Terrorists have been killed. Um, they killed 10 terrorists there. Oh, that was Tolkien. They killed 30 terrorists there about a week ago. This is serious stuff. Okay? So they get into this mosque. They do what they have to do. They find what they have to find. There's a loudspeaker system there. So a soldier and another one standing next to him grinning take the, take the microphone. In a video circulating on social media, an IDF soldier can be seen reciting the Shema Yisrael prayer in a mosque in Janine, where the military is currently operating extensively against terrorist infrastructure. In the video, a soldier is seen holding a microphone reciting Shema Yisrael, the same microphone that would be used for the Muslim call to prayer. Right? The echoes of the Shema could be heard bouncing off the walls all over Janine. The IDF responded to the circulating footage now, how does the IDF respond? Well, there are a number of possibilities. Right? Or, how they did respond, stating that such demeanor is deemed unacceptable. In uh, military jargon, it's called um, It's behavior that's inappropriate for an IDF soldier. And later, the Israeli military confirmed that the soldiers involved were suspended from all operational activities. Um, and I quote the Dover Tzal, the speaker of the uh, IDF, the soldier's conduct in the video is unacceptable and contradicts the IDF's core values. And therefore, they will be disciplined accordingly. That was the story. Now, this is interesting, right? What do you think about that? On the one hand, on the other hand, you're in a mosque, you're in a mosque, help him out, help him out, help him out. You're in a mosque, and, 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 and you're taking the microphone, and it's the middle of the night, by the way, and you're bouncing Shema Yisrael off the walls. Why is that inappropriate behavior? I mean, you're saying Shema Yisrael, and you want to let the world know Shema Yisrael. 
Anybody have an opinion on this? Do you hear the question? Okay. Anybody have an opinion? Appropriate, not appropriate? They should be awarded. They should be punished. Yes? Inappropriate because it's provocative and it makes people there more upset than they already are. It's already like an area with a lot of unrest. You're just adding to that for no reason. Okay. Who are they to tell them who's God? Well, they all agree on who God is. We we share the same God. Right. That is an interesting question, but there might be Jews that don't know they're Jews. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the intention is really important, although at the end of the day, you still did an action, and so the people that are seeing it happen assume that for their, the people that did its intention is of malice. Okay, in other words, the, the, the intention is to humiliate the enemy, and it's humiliating that you're, you know, publishing that we're victorious, and we're now in control of your mosque, and it might be an unnecessarily and provocative behavior, there is a third detail here that nobody mentioned, which is? Pardon? Pardon? Well, that's an interesting question. I will agree with you, but that you could debate that. Yeah? It's not what's supposed to be said in the mosque. Pardon? It's not what's supposed to be said. Well, yeah, I guess if you're an Arab, it's not what's supposed to be said in the mosque. Yeah? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Yeah. It's not their territory. No, you're in the army. The army has a system of orders. You get an order. Anything you do operationally as a soldier, has to be part of orders. If I walk over to a soldier, right, to, to an Arab, a terrorist, who I've captured. I mean, this is an actual story, who, who picked up an axe, tried to murder one of my men in the back. Benace, he wasn't hurt, because he leaned over and it, I think I told you the story, and it landed in his jerrycan. And afterwards, one of the soldiers, when he's tied up, wants to slap him on the head. Now, he's not really going to injure him, and he's certainly not, his, his life isn't at risk. And he's a terrorist who just tried to kill you. And if you opened up his handcuffs, he'd probably try to kill you again. But that's not part of operational orders. There's an order. The system is, once a terrorist is subdued, you can do anything you need to do to subdue a terrorist if, if a life is in danger. But once he's subdued, and his hands are tied behind his back, and he's blindfolded, you can't touch him. You have to give him over to the proper authorities, and they have a system. And there are rules to the system. And there are things they're allowed to do, and things they're not allowed to do, and it depends who the terrorist is, and so on and so forth. So this is not appropriate behavior for a variety of reasons. Okay, put that aside. Put that aside. And let's study something in Parashat Mishpatim. This is interesting, okay? The Pasuk says, Oh, now I found it. Ve'ele mishpatim asher tasim lifneihem. Okay? And the Mepharshim note that this Pasuk seems to have a couple of things that are extra. First of all, ve'ele is an interesting, it's an extra vav. Rashi talks about this, I mean, that's a separate topic, right? But what does it mean, ve'ele mishpatim asher tasim lifneihem? Somebody translate that sentence for me. And these are the laws that they put, asher tasim, that you should put. Who's you? Moshe Rabbeinu. Should put lifneihem. Before them. Before who? Reza. Ask me an obvious question. Rashi notices this question. These are the laws. You should put them before them. Ask me an obvious question. By the way, where is Moshe when Hashem is telling him all this? Harsina, right? We're still up on Harsina. Yitro may be over, but Harsina isn't. Okay? Harsina goes all the way into the middle of Vayikra, right? But Harsina is more, but okay, right? So, ask me an obvious question. These are the laws. You should put these before them. 
Pardon? What does it mean before them? Well, what does it mean before them? It's not from Moshe. Who else would you put it in front of besides them? Like, that seems a little superfluous. And, since we're already on the topic, who is them? Now, this is a fascinating puzzle. And the Gemara, right, um, debates. By the way, how do you put a mishpat before? What does it mean to put a law before someone? What do you think that must obviously mean? You're supposed to teach them. So what does it say teach them? There are many psukim that talk talk about Mm -hmm. teaching. What does it mean to place them before them? Right? Um, And why is this line here? Why now does all of a sudden Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu? Parshat Mishpatim is the nitty-gritty of the laws. Much of Hilchos, I saw one of the Madrachim put this out on your list, that if you study the Rashi's Parshat Mishpatim, you'll become pretty knowledgeable, at least in Bikiyos. It's actually a little risky way to study Nezikin, because you're studying a piece of it, not the whole piece of it, but, but it's a great way to cover a lot of the topics in Nezikin. Right? What happens when somebody hits somebody? What happens when somebody does damage? When somebody does damage accidentally? When your property does damage? Right? Okay, great. So we're going to get now into actual halacha. Right? Why here does it all of a sudden say, and these are the mishpatim that you put before them? I mean, this should be something I got in Yitro, or is it just a general given? Right? In fact, where would I expect this to appear? These are the laws that you should put before them. Where's the first time we find laws given to the Jewish people? Pardon? Somebody yell it out, no? That would be a good guess, but nope. Before Aserat According to the Medrash Mara, and according to... Yeah? The laws of Matzah, in Pesach. What does Hashem say? These are the laws you put before them, and from now on you should know everything I give you, I give for them. Why is this here? By the way, what word in the Torah is consistently used that is already saying this? Anybody know? All the time Hashem says this word. Hashem al Moshe What does Lemor mean? Saying. What do you mean saying? So Rabbi Hanania Kaziz asked a great question. Beginning of the Aserat that he wrote, it says, right? Right? These are the words that you should say to Bnei Yisrael. Lemor. So the Kina Sofrim, Hanania Kaziz, one of the Rishonim who comments on the Rambam, right? He says, normally this word means everything I give to you, I give to them. I'm saying this to you, Moshe Rabbeinu, so that you can say it to them. It's exactly what, what we're saying Elam Mishpatim means. What's the question by the Aserat that he brought, by the way, on this topic? By the Ten Commandments? Because Hashem's already talking to Bnei So what does it mean, Lemur? So he has a beautiful answer. He says, Hashem is giving these mitzvot to the Jewish people, but it's not just for them. It's Lemur. They're meant to pass it on. If it dies with them, they fail their mission. We're sitting here 3,000 years later. They obviously succeeded. Okay. So what is this doing here? And last question. There are three types of mitzvot. Okay? Three types of mitzvot. And there are different names given to them, so that's less important to me for now. Let's call them chukim, <clears throat> mishpatim, and either Torah or mitzvot. What are the difference between those three types of laws? A Torah... Right is a law, or a mishpat, is a law which you would figure out on your own. In other words, like the mitzvah to respect your parents. Even if we didn't have a Torah, most healthy societies would figure out you're supposed to honor your parents out of a sense of gratitude. It's almost built into our DNA. Right? You shouldn't steal. Society can't function if everybody steals. That's how the world got destroyed. So we would probably figure that out. Okay? 
Then there's something called a mishpat, or a Torah. There's a second type of law, and that law is a law that you probably wouldn't intuit on your own, but once you hear it, it makes a lot of sense. Like Shabbat. I'm not sure we would have come up with the idea that every seventh day we should take a day off and we shouldn't use our phones. But I'm not sure we would figure that out. But once you have it, it makes a lot of sense. Right? And then you have a third type of law, which is a chok. What's a chok? Chok is a law that makes no sense. Or we can never fully understand it. Most classic example is Paraduma. Shatna is another good example, right? Not only would you not figure out <coughs> that if you take a, that if somebody is ritually impure and touched a, I don't know, a dead body, right? There are many people coming back from Aza who are Tame Lames. I'm a Tame Rishon Lames. I have touched dead bodies. I'm a Tame Rishon Lames. That means everybody who's ever gone through a Raita is a Tame Shane Lames. Because I've hugged everybody who's gone through a Raita at some point or another. You're all stuck. Right? But it doesn't matter because there's so many tamayimais, so many people who have that. Right? So I'm tummy. I'm impure. I cannot eat true if I was a coin. I can't go up to Harabayit because I'm tummy Although you can go to parts of Harabayit after mikvah, we're not going to go there. It's another discussion. Right? All sorts of things I can't do. Can't offer up a carbon. Okay. So what do I have to do? Oh, no problem. Take a red cow. Not just any red cow. It has to be a perfect red cow. Can't be more than one white hair. Some say none. And then burn it after you slaughter it. Then take the ash, get a coin. The coin has to be pure. Let him sprinkle it on me with some water and some hyssop and whatever else is going on. And then I'll become pure, he'll become impure. So the person who's pure becomes impure. The person who's pu- impure becomes pure. And this is all with the same device. That's nuts. It makes no sense. You would never figure that out. Now, if Hashem is going to come to Moshe Rabbeinu and all of a sudden he's going to say, you need to put these laws before them, which one of those would it make sense? I would think Chukim. Like, you got to give them these laws and make sure they understand them. I can give you a whole shiur on it, but that's not what I'm talking about. The word is mishpatim. These are the laws that actually do make sense. So, why is it mishpatim, right? So there are many halachot that are learned from, from this pasuk. As an example, the Gemara in Kedushin, Daflamid Hay, says that, Asher tasim that means that you should put these laws, nezikin, the laws damages, before men and women. That there is equality before the law when it comes to the zikin. Women and men have the exact same halachic status when it comes to the zikin. If you do damage to a man or a woman, it's the same din. A woman can be liable, right? Or a woman can be obligated, or a woman can seek damages. Just like, a, guys, it's very distracting. In or out. Want to go talk to him? So, or you can come in and sit down, but that's not cool, right? Right? So that's one halacha. Here's another halacha. This is a fascinating halacha that people aren't aware of. There's more in Gittin. And that for my Okay? So the Gwaran Gitten says like this, it's on Daf Pechetam and Bet. Okay, it's in the ninth uh parak, Parak Amagarish. Um the Pechet? Yeah. It says the Ayla Mishpatima Shirtasim Lithnehem. These are the laws that you put before them. Okay? Lithnehem Velo Lifne of the Kachan. You are not allowed to litigate a case in front of a non-Jewish court. Certainly an idolatrous court. Now Rashi notes this. Rashi on the Pasuk says, right, um, Sorry, You can't uh, put it before idolaters and pagans, astrology buffs. Even if you know in this particular case, they're going to pass in exactly like we do, right? Out of you, Berakot 
Don't take your case to their legal system. It's a chil shem It's as, as as though Torah doesn't doesn't provide, you know, for justice and the like. And it elevates the names of the idolaters, right, uh, and praises them. Not allowed to do that. Now, this is a complicated question, right? Um, but in fact, halachically, it's problematic to take your case to a civil court, to a secular court. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. Uh, for example, what if, uh, you know, according to many posts, uh, by the way, I'm happy to mention this for two minutes, but nobody here should assume that you know the halacha from two minutes of vignettes, okay? We're not... I'm not giving a halachic shir, okay? Although this stuff is not difficult to look up. Um, but for example, um, there are many instances of exception. For example, um, if you know that um, the person who you want to take to court will not go to a bezdin. So it's machokas whether you have to, uh, when you have to, how you have to let them, do you have to let them know? Like let's say I'm going to insure, uh, I'm going to sue an insurance company. They're not gonna. They're not gonna. They're not gonna come to a bezdin. So do I have to ask them to come to the bezdin, and then do I have to get a psak from a bezdin? Right? There's a concept that you have to get a bezdin to paskin that you can go to a secular court, right? Um, the bezdin of the RCA, which is one of the prominent batidin, one of the prominent courts in America, will issue a litigant a summons three times, and only when they refuse three times will they give a heter for you to go to a secular court. Um, but there are some posts who say that you know you can assume certain things. Are you? Does this apply to a non-Jew? Right? Does it make a difference if you think the non-Jew would come to litigation? What about laws that can't be um, that that the bezdin has no standing? Like if you have a debate with your neighbor about zoning laws and you want to go to court, the bezdin in America has no standing on zoning laws, so you don't have to go to a bezdin. What if you're called by somebody as defendant? So you're being called by a secular court to to, to defend yourself. You're not taking a person to court, you're defending yourself. That might be also allowed to go. So that's a complicated question, right? But okay. And that's what many people talk about. But I want to share with you a different idea, right? <coughs> and this comes from a Vigdor Nevenzal, magnificent Sichan, mm-hmm. one of his Sichot Lasefer Shmot. Moshe's in Shamayim. And he's learning the deepest depths of, 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 of halacha. And who's he learning the deepest depths of Allah? <coughs> he's learning about how to adjudicate justice in the world. But he's learning it up in Shamayim. Kosh Baruch Hu says to him, the law can't remain up here. You have to take it down there. This is what you have to give them. Because you see, there are two parallel systems of courts in the world. There's based in Shalmata, there is the courts, the system, the Bate Dini in the secular courts. And then there's based in Shalmala. There's a court in the heavens. Now, I'm not saying that we have to literally believe that Hashem puts on a wig, sits behind a table, and there's like, you know, scales and defenders. And... But there is a concept of divine justice. And that's the concept of Bedin Shalmala, the court of the heavens, of, of up there. Right? And... Akash Baruch was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, we've been talking about Beit Din Shalmata. But you need to take this down to Beit Din Shalmata. Now what's the difference, right, between Beit Din Shalmala and Beit Din Shalmata? Humans cannot fully administer justice. I want to say that again. Human beings can never 
fully administered justice. And I'll give you some examples. Okay? Let's say, for example, um, two individuals, right? Uh, Ariel and myself, we, we each steal. Okay, he steals from Xander, I don't know, steals his kippah. And I steal from Zaki, steal his kippah. Same issue, right? And uh, Xander realizes it's Adiel, he's got a couple witnesses, whatever, so he comes to a Bezdin. And, uh, I don't know, uh, every year, you know, sees it, and he gets an aid, and Zaki takes me to a Bezdin. So we're now both, basically the same crime, taken to a Bezdin. How will Bezdin rule in both of our cases? Exactly the same. Because that's how din has to be. It doesn't matter that one person's a, 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 a teacher and another person's a student. One person's blonde, the other one's brown. One person's 60, the other person's 20. doesn't matter. Same din. But a Kosh Baruch Hu? Kosh Baruch Hu has a whole system of din. By the way, if I do something on purpose, well, we'll get to that. Kosh Baruch Hu has a whole system of din. Kosh Baruch Hu says, wait a second. Who is at the L? Who is Benny Friedman? Maybe Adiel had this flash of tshuva, right? And he's, 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 you know, his great-grandmother on her deathbed said, you know, on my yard side, if you will wear a kippah. And, and, and that morning he was helping orphans and he lost his kippah. And Xander is asleep and he doesn't think he's going to mind if he borrows his kippah for a minute. And Benny Friedman, he just, you know, he's ticked off because Zagi isn't making a full Persian tshuva. The crime is the same crime, but it's not the same crime. How much do you take into account <coughs> when you do justice? Right? Think about this. If a person kills someone else, okay? You know, you, you read about these stories every once in a while of road rage. I remember um, uh, somebody, when I was in Florida, told me that they were giving a course in the show. There were a couple of terrible incidents. There was a fellow who, I don't know exactly what happened, their car cut off the other car, I don't know exactly what was going on, uh, but the other fellow got out and started screaming with him, and this Jewish guy was kind of annoyed, and he got out and they started screaming, and the next thing the guy pummeled him, put him in the ICU. And there were a couple of instances like this, so the shul sponsored, one of the shuls in the area sponsored a road rage course. He said you can take a course in road rage, and if you take a course in road rage, it actually gets you something in your license, like it makes it easier to get your next license or insurance, they sound like they were incentivizing people. It was such a widespread issue, they were incentivizing people to take this course. It was like a three-hour course. I said, you know, this is really interesting. Like, I'm going to go sit on this course. I don't need to, but I'm just curious. I think it would be great for this year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I thought the course was going to be what to do when someone has rage rage, how to help them, how to stop. No, the whole course was how do you move, get on without getting killed. So, for example, one of the rules was don't ever make eye contact. Never make eye contact with the other driver. Because once it gets personal, then it can explode. No matter what he's doing, he's screaming at you, just don't make eye contact. Which is pretty much the antithesis of what Jews must say, but okay. But it might be the right thing to do under that circumstance. Right? Road rage. So let's say, in a case of road rage, right, a person gets out, God forbid, and he kills someone. And, and let's say we're living in, 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 in the time of a Sanhedrin, and a Melech, and Mashiach, and the Vesem Mikdash. And, and two of you are standing there, and one of you realizes, that's Onish Mavis. I mean, that's, you know, if he kills him, it's, 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 he's going to get punished by death. And let's say you even know that it's Hereg, it's not Skila. And you yell at him and say, dude, we're two witnesses here, we're going to be forced to testify. We're going to take you to Bezdin. They're going to put you to death by Hereg. And he looks at you and says, I don't care. And he stabs him, right? 
Now, why do you need hasra? Why do you need a warning? Anybody know why you need a warning? The Gemara and Hedrin talks about this. Anybody know? Just in case they don't know. What's the difference? If, if I see you do this, the two of us see you do this, right? And we yell at you. And we say to you, dude, we're watching you. Like, Onish Misa. And you're like, and you kill the guy. That's not a proper hasra. Why is that not a proper hasra? What is hasra? What does a warning come to prevent? The possibility that the person really did it? Bishogi. If you have a proper hasra, a proper warning, it means he did it amazing. Now, come on. What's the likelihood of a guy pausing in a moment of road rage, right? So a best is probably never going to be able to put a road rage guy to death. But let's say somehow the hasra is good and he can put him to death. So he puts him to death. But that's not how Kosh Baruch works. Kosh Baruch, I'll give you an interesting question. So if this guy gets put to death, right, and he bid you finally got a job, and he's finally going to have a paycheck, and his wife, Nebuch, who's not well, desperately needs the paycheck to, to cover her medical bills. <coughs> so she's an innocent bystander. She didn't do anything wrong. But if he gets killed by the Bezdin, she's going to be punished, agreed? Bezdin can't take that into account. But Kosh Baruch does. Kosh Baruch might decide he's not going to get put to death right now. Right? He's not going to, I don't know, have a flash of lightning. What about his children? What about if the fact that he's put to death causes his child to turn to crime? Bezdin can't take that into account. Because Baruch can. So there's Bezdin. There's no need for Hatra, for a warning, in Bezdin Shalmala. Because Hashem knows what, what, what you were thinking. Hashem knows what you were doing. Hashem knows what your intentions were. Hashem knows the implications of your intention. Right? There's Alacha. Right? The Gemara says... Um, you know what grama is? Anyone want to tell me what grama is? What's grama? Causal effect, right? Okay. So, for example, um, if uh, you know, if um, if I'm juggling with flints and one of them falls on the floor and starts a fire, okay. So I didn't start the fire. I did something which caused the fire to start. That's not a direct starting of the fire. That's grama, okay. And very often we use grama b'dievet on Shabbos in cases where you have doctors, things like that. So, for example, let's say that, um, I don't know, um, uh, I got a grandchild, he's nine years old, right? he's a katan, he's a minor, and, uh, you know, I want to give him a gift, and I don't have anything to give him, but I want to give him a gift. So I take out my lighter, I have a lighter. You know, we use it for the kumsa, I give him my lighter. A nine-year-old kid, I give him a lighter. Not a good move, right? Maybe he's a five-year-old kid. And he goes into your house with a lighter, and he finally figures out it works. And he's like so excited, he puts it to the curtain. And he sets the curtain on fire. And then the whole house burns down. Whose fault is that? Can't blame a five-year-old. So what's my liability? Nisht. There's no grammar in Ezekiel. No obligation halakhically in Bezin Jalmata. Because Bezin, a Bezin can't figure out grammar. It's too complicated, too many different possibilities. But Bezin Jalmala? In Bezin Jalmala? I'd be liable. Well, would I be liable? What if I didn't know what a lighter was? Well, then I wouldn't be liable. What if I thought this kid was a genius? What if I sent him with a lighter into the house because I can't stand the guy? There's a range of possibilities here. Only a Kosh Baruch can take that into account. Right? Complicated question. Fundamental difference between based in Shalmata and based in Shalmala. Now, you might say to yourself, well, this is pretty scary because based in Shalmata, the regular court system, so they're never going to be able to adjudicate justice. They can never put a, almost never put a murderer to death. It's hard for them to punish people. So don't worry, right? The, the halacha comes up with a system. A baiting can add all sorts of chumrot. It can, it can make life very difficult for a criminal. 
It can sometimes, you know, punish a person to the extreme. They can find a way to bring basic justice, but they're never going to get it perfect. Never going to get it perfect, right? Okay. Now, the question is, right, um, who are we somehow? According to which Bezdin do we behave? Do we behave more according to the Bezdin Shalmata or more according to the Bezdin Shalmata? And I'll give you a great example. Let's say, for example, that case that I mentioned before. Am I allowed to give that child a lighter? So the answer is, we possibly may know what the din is. If you read this in the Rambam, what would he say? Pater of al You ever see that phrase in Halacha? What does Pater of al mean? Pater means midina shamayim, you're Pater, you're not liable, right? Or more accurately, the Bezdin doesn't look at it as Doraisa, but also rabbinically, you're not allowed to do it. And very often, Pater of al means you won't be punished by a Bezdin, but you're forbidden to do it. Not allowed to do it. There are many examples like that, right? Grama, okay? Bezdin won't punish you for grama. If a person is Mechal Shabbos Bifarhesia in public, right, and he has Edim and Asra and the whole thing, then he'll be put to death by Skila. But let's say he did uh, 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 Mechal Shabbos Bifarhesia, right, and there were no Edim and Asra, then he'll be Chayav and Bezdin Shamal. But let's say he did grama. Now, what's a good example of grama? A good example of grama is I want to drive my car, right? So I buy myself, or, or I want to answer the telephone, so I buy myself a grama phone. Okay, this was created by an institute called the Tzomet Institute. Basically, the way it works is there's a pulse, and the pulse sort of every five seconds goes through the line, right? And if the receiver is down, it, it can't complete the circuit. But if the receiver is up, then the next time the pulse goes through the line, it'll complete the circuit, and the phone will answer, right? So if the phone is ringing, I pick up the phone, but it doesn't answer right away. And it's the ring that causes the answer, not my picking up the phone. So that's grama. I did something that allowed it to happen, but I didn't do it directly. Now, why did they create this phone? Because in certain instances, Rabbanan weren't gozer, they didn't decree. So if you're a doctor and you need to answer phone calls, right? And all sorts of other instances. But let's say you're not a doctor. Let's say you're just a guy who has a gramophone because you're a nurse's aide on weekends. But now it's a regular Shabbos, but you know, you want to find out what the score is on the Super Bowl. But you've been listening to the phone. And you never know, it could be. And you know they're not calling you. Because you know that somebody else switched you. But you got used to it, so you picked it up. So technically, you're doing the same thing. It's a gramophone, right? It's pater of alasa, right? So the bezdin shalmata, they'll never find you liable. But bezdin shalmala will. So now the question is, how do I look at that? Do I focus on the pater or do I focus on the asa? Do I say, listen, you know, I'm pater. I don't have to worry about this. Like, I'm doing something legal. Or do I say, yeah, but there's something asa about this. This is not what I should be doing. Right? I gave the kid a lighter and somebody's house burned down. Right? There's a Pasuk in this week's parasha. Oh, what an amazing Pasuk. Right? Parakhaf Aleph. Parakhaf Aleph. Pasuk. Oh no, it's Chaf Gimel. Chaf Gimel? Yeah, Parakhaf Gimel Pasuk. Listen to this Pasuk. Midvar Sheker Terchak. It's very interesting. It doesn't say Lotus Sheker. It says you should distance yourself from falsehood. Okay. And don't kill someone who's a tzaddik. A strange pasuk. Well, yeah, obviously, right? Because I will not make righteous the wicked one. What is that talking about? So the Gemara explains what this is talking about. is very simple, right? 
You obviously can't kill a tzaddik, right? But imagine that a person is found innocent. Like a bezdin, somebody's taken to court, and the bezdin finds him innocent. Okay? And he's exonerated. And then afterwards, one of the Dayanim comes up with a svar, he comes up with a logic based on the evidence as well. This guy should be guilty. But he's already gotten free. The Allah says you can't take him back to court. It's like, what do they call that? Double, double indemnity? Double Pardon? Double, double jeopardy, right? So that exists a little different in Allah, but whatever. Can't take him back to court. So you say, wait a second. But this guy is guilty. So Kosh Baruch says, don't worry. You cannot indict the righteous. If he's going free, it's because right now I, Kosh Baruch think he's meant to go free. That's how the system works. But if he's a Russia, I'll find him. I got this. Do we believe that Hashem will finish the job? Right? If he says, if he's guilty, I will get him. And you don't know, you can't know what else is going on in this person's life and what's happening. And the fact that he's in line to donate a kidney and, and it was a match, but now if I find him guilty, he's going to be in jail. But because this is going to save somebody's life and that person's the father of Mashiach, like, we don't know anything. So do we accept that there's a based in Shalomala? Right? And, and it's interesting because when you take this to its natural conclusion, there's also a flip side to this. So what about me? Like, you know, we do something, and we know, technically, that we can get away with this. You, know, you find a loophole in the tax law. You know, you, 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 you have a Shabbaton, and all the guys come to your house, and they buy all these paper goods. And you bring them to your house. Nobody's going to tell me that I can't use the rest of the paper cups. And, you know, there isn't anybody who will oversee that. And I'm telling you that halakhically, I'm quite sure I could use the rest of those paper cups. But that's in based in Shalmata. In based in Shalmala, I'm not so sure. And it's really interesting because the more Torah you learn, the higher a level you get to. The higher a level you get to, the more significant is every single act that you do. Right? Rabbeinu Yonah points out in the Shari Tshuva, we cannot begin to imagine the power of one insignificant transgression. We don't think about this. And I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Imagine that you're chutzpahdik. I was once, uh, I told you this story, but it's the only time I ever saw Rav Lichtenstein get a tiny bit annoyed. I, I, I told you once, I used to take a tramp with him every Friday, right? You remember that story? Okay. So one of those Fridays, we're leaving the gush. It's like 12, 12.30. Pardon? Pardon? I think only one of the wrong no, I think both got it. They just got it at different times. Right, yeah. Okay, right? Rav Lechazin taking a tramp, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Okay, so I built a relationship with him. So anyway, that, that, sh- no, no, it's good. After the Lechah Kamacha, it's good, it's good. Right. Okay, so, so, so one particular Friday, we're driving through Shalim, we pull out of the gush, we get down to the summit, and there's somebody waiting for a tramp. Okay? And uh, he's like talking to somebody. And he opens the door, and he's just finishing his conversation. Now there's a driver who's good enough to have stopped. He wants to get driving. And this guy's finishing his conversation. Now it's an innocent thing. It's a second. But it ends up being five seconds, ten seconds, thirty seconds. Now thirty seconds is not a big deal. But if you're driving, that's rude. So finally, Rav Lichtenstein kind of says to the guy, make it snappy. Like, that was like him being annoyed. You know, make it snappy. I would be like, okay, right? So the guy gets in. And I'm, I said, ah, oh, this is going to be fun. Because I know what's coming. Anybody standing in the gush knows what Lechazin is. Like back then. He's going to get in. He's going to sit down. He's going to say sorry. He's going to suddenly realize who he was. Right? 
That's exactly what happened. He sits down, okay? And I happen to be sitting in the back this time. There was somebody else in the front. And I look at this guy's face, and he says, oh, sorry. And then he sees a look at him, and he's like humbled. Now it's just a moment. He might not even remember that. In Basin Shalmala, he just kept Rav Lichtenstein waiting for 30 seconds. There's 30 seconds left Torah from Rav Lichtenstein in this world. Now that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And I'll show you how I know that it's a big deal. Okay? There's, um, in, in Shmuel, in Shmuel Bet, famous example. Okay, we're almost done. Shmuel Bet. Everybody knows this story. Okay, Natan Hanavi. Um, this is in Shmuel Bet, uh, Perek, Yud, beginning of Perek Yud Bet. Okay, so it's Shabib. Shmuel Bet Yud Bet. Okay, right? Vayishlach Hashem et Natan el David, which is amazing in and of itself. Natan el David is sent by Kosh Baruch Can you imagine what the Shkos that is? You get to be sent by Kosh Baruch It's unbelievable. Kosh Baruch sends you somewhere. Except, of course... Everybody has that schos every minute because wherever you are, you send back our brother. Okay, so, so Nathan and Navi comes to David Amel. Okay, I'm going to resist the urge to talk about this more. Okay, right? But now, what's the story here? What's the backward story? What's the mess that Nathan and Navi is trying to clean up? But Shev, right? David Amelach, you know, sends Uriachiti to war. Now she's a war. he gets killed. Was not my fault? I sent him to war. You're allowed to send him to war. He got killed. Not by me. She's a war bride. I'm responsible. I can marry her. Not in Shalmala. Kosh Baruch knows exactly what's going on here. He's not liable in Bezin Shalmata. But in Bezin Shalmala, he's in trouble. So, so Natan comes to him with this example. And there's a detail in this example which is so delicious. Listen to this. Okay? There were two men in one city. I love Nasan and Navi here. He's telling a story. That's how he started here. Okay. Right? Uh, and he says to him, there were two guys in the city. Echad ashir ve'echad rash. A rich one and a poor one. Okay? Aniva rash atzdiku, rash means a poor person. Le'ashir ayat tzonu v'kar Now the rich guy, oh, he had huge flocks. He was a wealthy guy. Ve'larash enko, but the poor guy has nothing. Ki im kivsa achat ktana, one little sheep. Asher kana v'yechayev v'tigdali movi banav yachna. He kept it in the house. It was like the pet. They did everything for the sheep because this is their parnas. This is all they had. They're going to sell the wool and have enough food for dinner. Right? Okay. I mean, they ate together, they slept together. Everything he did for this lamb. It was like a Ben Bait, right? Like a, like a member of the... So the rich guy wants to take his sheep. And he sees the sheep, he thinks it's a nice sheep, he wants to, so he steals it. So that he could shecht it and give it to his guest. Even though he's a wealthy guy. Now, David doesn't know yet, which is amazing, but okay, who nothing is talking about. So what does he say? Now what's the Allah? What's the Allah here? You steal a sheep, okay? You steal a sheep, right? And it's in this week's parsha. Okay, steal a sheep and you slaughter it. What's the halacha? Okay, it's in Perak Chafalif, right? Pasuk v'chiyignov ish. In this week's parsha, v'chiyignov ish or osel tvachau mecharau. Person steals an ox or a lamb, okay, and kills it, slaughters it, or sells it. Chamisha bakari shleim tachat ashor ve'arvat son tachat aset. You have to pay four times the amount of the sheep. That's the halacha. 
I know the halacha, you know the halacha, David HaMelech knows the halacha. Guarantee you David HaMelech knows the halacha. What does David HaMelech say? He says, Chay Hashem, ki ben mavet This guy should be put to death. What do you mean this guy should be put to death? It's this Baruch HaPsuka. David HaMelech is not talking about based in Shalmata. David HaMelech is talking about based in Shalmata. That person, right? If you steal a sheep from a poor guy, and you're a poor guy, then pay four times. If you steal a sheep from a rich guy and you're a poor guy, pay four times. If you're a wealthy guy and you have all this sheep, and you're stealing it from poor guy, it's his only sheep, the implications of that are much more than you stole the sheep. He's going to go hungry. Who knows what will happen? His children will be fed up that their father's no money. They'll leave the house. They'll become up because of him. They'll, they'll kill people. Who knows what it'll be? Ben Mavetu. From a simple act. And the Pasuk says, Ki Hashem Yariv Rivam. Hashem will fight the battle of those who are wronged even when the Bezdin doesn't. Right? That's what the, the Gemara in Baba Kama says, which is in your Tandaf Kufi test. Right? Ki Almanaviatom Lotianu, Imanota Neoto. Tupsukim. You're not allowed to cause travail to the to the to the widow or the orphan. And if you do, then the Pasuk doesn't end. Why doesn't the Pasuk end? The Torah doesn't say what the punishment is, because only a Kashbarhu can know the punishment. And it's interesting. Rabbi Vigdor, I'll give you maybe one last example. Okay? The Medrash and Esther Rabba. And I want you to hear this. Okay? Mordechai suffers. Okay? Remember the story? They're going to kill all the Jews. And what does it say about Mordechai? And he tears his clothes. He's sitting in Ashkelon. Let me ask you a question. You're a, you're a well-to-do person. You're a member of the Sanhedrin. And now you're sitting in Ashkelon. You ripped your clothes. How's that feel? It's a little humiliating. Why does Mordechai suffer this way? And it goes on. And he cries out this horrible cry. So the matter says, what did Mordechai do to deserve this? Why is Mordechai suffering? Listen, this is unbelievable. You know why Mordechai suffers? If you look in the Pasuk, when the Gavia, when the goblet is found in the Amtacha, in the pack of Binyamin, what do the brothers do? They cry big day They cry out and they and they, they, they tear their clothes. Sorry, they don't cry out. Just as they tore their clothes. So because Binyamin caused the brothers to tear their clothes, hundreds of years earlier, Mordechai, who is from Sheva Binyamin, is descendant of Shaul, will be made to tear his clothes. Right? And why does he cry out? Why is he crying out? Because 1,500 years earlier, who cries the exact same language as Zaka, Marag, Golad, Maod? Anybody know? Esav. And that's what the message is. It's unbelievable. Teidash are Zaka, Chatizik, Yaakov, Le'esav. Now, the altar of Slabodka, okay, asks an excellent question. The altar of Slabodka came... He was also known as, 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 as he, he created the Sheikh of Musa in Slabatka. He came to Eretz Yisrael in 1925. He established what famous Yeshiva in Israel? I know? Hebron. Knesset Yisrael in Hebron. Okay? Um, he died in 1927. He was Zohan not to witness the horrible events of 1929. 
when they massacred in the yeshiva and they moved into Yerushalayim. <coughs> but that yeshiva is the yeshiva of Slabaka, it's, 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 it's the Muslim yeshiva. And uh, he points out, in one of his farim, he says, wait a second. So Binyamin caused the brothers to cry, and because of that, hundreds of years later, Mordechai is crying. But what did Binyamin do wrong? He found the goblet in his pack. Right? What did he do wrong? He says, you know what Benjamin did wrong? <coughs> he didn't check in the pack. They'd already found money in the packs. He should have checked. The other brother should have checked also, but he should have checked. Because of the insignificant act of not checking his pack, not caring enough to make sure that everything was right, the implications of that were for generations. Right? There's a Gemara that talks about, but it's quoted in the Mechilta, uh, Rabbi Shmuel Cohen Gadol, and I think it's Rabbi Gamliel. And it's Rabbi Gamliel. They were, they were in the uh, Ela Eskara. They were taken to be murdered by the Romans. And the Medrash has um, Rabbi Gamliel, right? Uh, is it Rabbi Gamliel? The Medrash has Rabbi Shmuel, right? Rabbi Gamliel, say to Rabbi Shmuel Cohen Gadol, what do you think I did wrong? Now, Pshat in the Medrash is he's not saying, how could this happen? He's saying, I just want to know what terrible thing did I do that I need to do chula for before I die? Listen to this. You know what Bishmael Kohen Gadol says in the message? Unbelievable! He says, it must be that at some point, since you were not Bezdin, and you judged people in the court, it must be that one time you were getting dressed and there was a widow waiting for court and she was in your house and you kept her waiting for a moment while you got yourself dressed or while you brushed your hair. And because of that, you're now going to die. And you know what Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Gamil says? Nichamtani, Rabbi. You're giving me comfort. Now I know what to do tshuva for. Can you imagine? There's such tzaddikim that the simple act, and by the way, fascinating, right? The first one say, what's going on here? That woman, listen, if I was, kept, if I was in Avluchensin's house, I have an exact memory, very distinct memory, of being in Avlachatzin's house, I had to get him to sign a paper. I was a little uncomfortable, but I got there. And I was waiting in the hall for him. And I was listening to him learn a chavrusa, I told you the story, with his son Shai. It's one of my most powerful memories. He wasn't causing me suffering. I was there another five minutes. I was in the, in the house of Anakadoli Ador. She's not suffering because she's in Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel's house, Rabbi Shmuel's house. But he didn't respect enough that Selim Elohim in her. And the implications of that are enormous. So you know what you get out of this? Why is this mishpatim? Because mishpatim is supposed to make sense. We're so, we're so caught up in the legal system and what's right, and that's true. We have to remember, the ideal is not to live according to based in Shalmata. The ideal is to live according to based in Shalmala. What are the implications of every single thing that I do? You know, you, you walk by, and there's a piece of paper on the floor. And you don't pick it up. What's the big deal? You didn't notice it. And the next day, Reblau comes in. And he picks it up. So you're mavatal the Torah of Rav Blau for five seconds. And you don't even know that. But when you get to Beis in Shalmala, that act has enormous implications. Now the simplest thing to do is just to remain a Russia, because then the things won't be as, as, as important. But then you'll be a Russia. That'll be worse. Do I live according to Beis in Shalmala? Do, do, do the choices that I make to the actions that I commit, to the mistakes that I make, do I understand the implications of that? If two Jewish soldiers are in a mosque 
and they take the microphone to say Shema Yisrael, and they, on the off chance, that's such an insignificant act when you consider everything that's been going on since October 7th. But the Israeli army says, no, no, that's, we can't lose our humanity, our morality, our ethical imperative. Even though it might seem like such an insignificant thing, I don't know any other army in the world that would care about such a moment. The fact that the Israeli army says an Israeli soldier will not behave that way, that's based in Shalmala. And that's our challenge. Our challenge is, can we aspire? You can't really live according to Beis Yin That's why it's not Beis Yin But you can try. And to the degree that you try, you change the world. And you certainly change yourself. And when you change yourself, you change the world around you. So that's a little food for thought on Prashat Mishpatim.